this morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1. So I invite you to, to follow along with me uh, there this morning. And just a quick introduction to uh, the book of Romans. Uh, again, this is one of Paul's letters. He's writing it to the church in Rome. Um, and uh, this is probably one of the uh, books that if you're amongst our kind of our Reformed Presbyterian tradition faith, uh, this is the one that we constantly go back and back to. Uh, for good reason. Uh, there's uh, many different topics that are addressed. Much of our, our doctrine and theology can uh, be derived from its depths. Um, and yet it is also easily summarized. And that's actually kind of what we're looking at uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 14 through 17. And really the first 13 verses of chapter 1 are Paul just explaining his desire to come be with the church in Rome. And then we get to uh, verses 14 through 17, and in our passage this morning, this is really the why. Paul gives the why he wants to come, and then after our passage, you know, verses 18 to the end of the book, Paul really just expands on our section this morning. Uh, So let's read together Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray for our time. Lord God, we uh, thank you that you are our King and our God. And uh, as we have sung this morning, uh, that your goodness is running after us, that you are indeed what a Savior. And I pray that this morning that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us that uh, you would give me the words and the strength uh, to speak clearly. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want want you to think about one of your favorite restaurants to eat at. You know, as you think, what is your favorite, what is your go-to place, what is that place that you enjoy eating? For me, one of my uh, favorite places I I enjoyed eating was actually at a local burger place during our time that we lived in St. Louis. It was located in a nice kind of small business, kind of downtown local community area uh, in the city, uh, not far from where we lived at the time. You know, everything was fresh, kind of that made-the-order type place. Uh, Even the sodas, and we'll call the grown-up drinks, came from a local brewery uh, in the area. Uh, you know, this was kind of Kate and I's regular date night spot. So if that's my spot, I want you to think of what your spot is and why that's your favorite place. So now that you have that place in mind, what about it makes it your favorite? 
Or maybe it's the reason you keep going back again and again. So back to my burger place. It's a nice kind of cozy place. Not one of these big restaurants, but kind of a nice seating, nice atmosphere that we could enjoy after a long week of classes or a long week of work. The food was really good. Uh, This is one of those kind of more specialty type burger places. So um, yes, there was the traditional cheeseburger or uh, maybe if you're like the mushroom and Swiss fan um, or even a chicken sandwich or a portobello mushroom burger if you wanted alternatives to uh, beef. Uh, Sometimes Kate and I would just get a bunch of sliders to share. Um, But what I really enjoyed is I enjoyed getting the burger of the month. Uh, which, as it sounds, it would change every month. And so I just wanted to read you for January of 24 uh, what their burger of the month is. It's called the Resolution Buster. January's burger of the month is two-quarter pound 50-50 bacon beef blended patties with pub-style cheddar cheese and candied jalapeno bacon jam. So this would change every month. And if that doesn't make you hungry, then I will wrap up this sermon quickly and we can all go there afterwards, but it's a bit of a drive. So, um, but you know, from from their burgers, even to their sides, you know, fresh cut fries to sweet potato fries to uh, fried cheese curds, if that's your thing. Uh, But one of the biggest draws for us was actually the service. Uh, their wait staff was always kind and personable, um, and because this was kind of our, our regular date night spot, uh, we got to know one of the bussers. Uh, his name was Edgar. Uh, he was always kind and fun to talk to. He always made sure that we had everything that we needed. All right, so we have the place. We have why that's our favorite. And so I wanted to ask one more question. Would you tell others about your favorite restaurant. And after going through my favorite parts of the menu and the fact that I'm basically advertising for this place, you might be thinking, well, duh, of course I'm going to tell other peoples uh, about this. But I think asking that last question, would you tell others, really gets at the heart of the first question of how do we define our favorite restaurant? Because I'm sure there are things in our lives that might be your favorite that you might not want to tell other people about. For instance, you might be a fan of a particular uh, coffee uh, place that is very well known, um, tends to be a little bit more on the pricey side, but for you to admit that your favorite coffee place is this chain place might be a little, really? That's your favorite place? Which then begs the question, if that's your favorite place, but you aren't willing to tell people about it, is it really your favorite place? And, you know, it's, it's one of those, if people saw me eating in this restaurant, would I be embarrassed that they saw me there? If you were eating in your favorite restaurant, would you be embarrassed if other people saw you eating there? And so that's a, a fun little exercise as we think about maybe our favorite place to eat or our favorite coffee place. But this last question really gets the heart of our passage this morning. Verse 16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he spent the first 13 verses leading up to our passage explaining to the church in Rome why 
He wants to come to them. He's eager, as says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. He is not ashamed. And in fact, as we look at the book of Acts and we read about Paul's missionary journeys again and again, he goes to these different places eager to preach, eager to share the good news. And I think Paul's statement here this morning as we look at it ought to lead us to examine ourselves and ask the question of ourselves, am I ashamed of the gospel? Which is a hard question, but it's one worth addressing. And so this morning, what I want us to do uh, this morning is just ask a lot of questions of ourselves. When we approach a text, a lot of times the, we ask questions of the text. Was it saying here? Was it saying there? What does this mean? Uh, but this morning, what I really want us to do is let the text, text ask questions of us. Let it ask us these questions. And so there's kind of three overarching questions I want us to look at uh, this morning that, that come from the passage. First question, what is the gospel? Second, do you believe the gospel? And then third, do you proclaim the gospel? What is the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you proclaim the gospel? So first, why start with this question, what is the gospel? And really the simple answer is because everything hinges on it. Because if we don't get this right, it doesn't really matter our answers to the second two questions. And Paul says in in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You know, over the past several months, we've had new members uh, join our church, and uh, part of the the new membership class that they go through, part of uh, their membership interview, and then part of as they come before you uh, is answering questions. You know, there's five questions, and uh, I'll just kind of comment on the first three of them, but the first one is, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save and his sovereign mercy. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? And then the third question is, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? And part of those reasons that we ask those three questions is those three questions really kind of get at the heart of your understanding of the gospel. Gets at your heart of understanding God and his relationship to his people and your relationship to him in return. And I really want to kind of just pause and reflect on that very first question because it points out our need for a Savior. You know, it says, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? You know, later on in in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, it says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So one of the most fundamental aspects of understanding what is the gospel is that the gospel is for sinners. You know, gospel is understanding that sin is real and is present in our lives, and I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. 
You know, if we think about sin, what, what is sin? It's destructive. It poisons and pollutes everything it touches. You know, sin is a poison that leads to death in your whole being. Death, perhaps even physical through sinful choices. Maybe it's death of your relationship with family and friends. And ultimately, it is spiritual death and separation from God. You know, sin also stains you. It pollutes you. And, you know, it taints your very being. No matter how hard you try, how hard you scrub, you cannot wash yourself clean. It blinds us to the truth and it breaks relationship between us and God and between us and each other. You know, if I, if I read that first membership question, but leave out the end. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope? That paints a very dire picture for us. You know, as we were wrapping up our, our series last week, uh, Jeff said this great line as he, he wrapped up our series in Genesis. He says, humanity without God is humanity without hope. You know, and that's true. As sinners, we need hope. We need a Savior. And that's the gospel message. And that's what we see here in Romans. God, in his sovereign mercy, has provided salvation for his people through his Son, Jesus, to everyone who believes. And so even in our membership question, it paints that dire picture, but at the end it says, without hope, save in God's sovereign mercy. And even in Romans 3.23, when we read, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the story doesn't end there. For in the very next verse, it says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So for those who believe that is our salvation, that is the gospel, that is the good news, that in Jesus we have life. Where sin poisons, Jesus heals. Where sin pollutes, Jesus has washed us clean by his blood shed on the cross. And that is the power of the gospel that Paul is coming to Rome to preach. That is the gospel that he is eager to preach, eager to share. Where we stood condemned, now we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. You know, one of the verses that I think most of us know and memorize and most of our children memorize is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is what Paul is coming to preach to the church in Rome. So we've covered what is the gospel. That leads us to our next question. Do you believe it? Do you believe the gospel? Verses, again, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jews and to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Our righteousness that is by faith. So it's for everyone who believes, and it's righteousness by faith. And, you know, this seems like a kind of, again, a basic and self-evident question, but it's important that we ask it. 
Because it doesn't matter if we know what the gospel is if we don't believe it. We can know everything about the gospel. We can know the ins and outs of theology. Uh, We can know fancy terms like order salutis and all of these other Latin terms or phrases. You know, we can debate with the great Reformed theologians of the past and the present, but if we don't believe it, it doesn't matter. Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe it to be true? Later on in Romans ten nine, Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that something that you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe yourself to be a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you believe that God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross? Do you believe that you've been washed clean through the saving grace of God, through the blood of Christ. Again, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But if you don't believe and you don't accept that, then where is your hope? You know, the gospel provides hope for those that believe, for those that are are sinners. It provides conviction. You are indeed a sinner but there is a Savior who loves you. (coughs) It provides cleansing where sin has tainted you. Jesus will clothe you in his righteousness. Where before you were condemned, now you stand adopted in his presence. Before you were lost, now you are found. But it's not just for those who are Uh, sinners in need of a Savior. It's also for those who are weary and heavy laden. For in the gospel, you have rest and encouragement. You know, in this new series that uh, Jeff is going to start in a couple weeks, he's looking in in Matthew 5 and, and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is blessing for the weary and heavy laden, for they will find rest and encouragement. There is power in the Spirit for those who believe. You know, it's also gospel hope for the hurting, for he will give you comfort and peace. You know, when we read uh, in Isaiah, there's a, a great section where it's talking about the coming Savior, and it gives him a list of titles. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Prince of Peace. You know, and one of those, uh, as, and, or one of the things our, our small group has been studying is Hebrews, where it talks about how Jesus is our great high priest. He's someone who knows our temptations, but he's also someone who knows our sufferings. So he can be that wonderful counselor. He can be that prince of peace. You know, some of you know I work in the financial field, and it's uh, one of these ironic things about advertising. There are certain things that we are not allowed to say uh, in advertising, uh, we can't use things, uh, a fancy term called promissory language, meaning we can't promise things. Uh, we can 
hey, we think this is likely going to happen, but we can't promise you anything. You know, we can plan everything. Uh, we can give you confidence that this is the right plan for you. Uh, but in one of the most ironic things in advertising, we cannot say you can have peace of mind. Even though we're doing all the right things that will give you that peace of mind, we can't actually literally come out and say peace of mind. Not so with the gospel. Not so with our God. We can have assurance of God's love for us. We can have assurance in the Prince of Peace that he indeed loves us and cares for us and is for, there for us. We can have assurance that our sins are forgiven, that the Spirit is at work in our lives, and we can have assurance that indeed we have been given a new heart. You know, one of the things I enjoy uh, before I come in and preach on Sunday morning, I enjoy coming in early and actually listening uh, to them to them practice, and I think it helps prepare me for being up front. And I think music, as we sing and in our worship, helps work and mold your hearts. It, you know, the the we're very intentional about the songs that we choose uh, because we think that the songs ought to have uh, a gospel message even within them. You know, and as I was sitting there listening this morning, um, I was also thinking of one of my favorite uh, musicians and, and a song that he sings. He gives the analogy of the gospel to a train station. And I just want to read a little bit of how he puts it because I think he, he puts it really well. You know, there's a train station where people go to try and escape. With anxious eyes, we stand in line till the cold ground shakes to tell us it's time for the train. Yes, it's time for the trains to stop. Some were steel and some were gold, and each conductor raved. They shouted, buy your tickets, save your souls. But one conductor sang. He shouted, you, come follow me. I'll buy your tickets and I'll pay your fees because I know what you cost. Believe me, without this train, you will be lost. So the rich men laughed, and they walked away, but the poor ones felt that they should stay. So they told all of their friends, they told even strangers, till there were ten thousands of people to said, come, let us see this scandalous train that claims to be free, just let him speak. So he drew a picture on the ground. The stone moved just like sand. He said, throw your tickets on the floor. I'll give you mine instead. And he shouted, you, come follow me. I'll buy your tickets. I'll pay your fees. Because I know what you cost. Believe me, without this train, you will be lost. I think that's such a beautiful picture, such beautiful lyrics that say, hey, this is what Jesus is offering you. He is offering you his ticket. And he does so because he knows what you cost. The cost is his blood on the cross. Because without him, we indeed would be lost. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We are following the one who took our place. And what do the people in that psalm lyrics do? They go and they tell others. You know, what is the gospel? 
Do you believe it? And do you believe it to a point where you're willing to go and tell others about it? Paul begins our passage in verse 14. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Verse 15. That is why I am so eager to preach. (coughs) That is why I am so eager to preach. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, he says three things here. He's obligated, he's eager, and he's not ashamed. And so I want us to have the passage ask that of us. You know, are we obligated? Is Paul's obligation our obligation? Well, I mean, in one sense, no, we're not Paul. We're not apostles. But in another sense, yes, we are. You know, when we read Matthew 28, Jesus says in in one of the final things, he says to the disciples, go and preach to tell news. Tell all, go and make disciples of every nation. You know, when... Again, when Jeff was preaching last week, we read how one of God's directives is go. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and speak of me. Gospel is good news. And when you have good news, you ought to share it. You know, at the end of Colossians, when Paul is asking for prayer, his prayer is that the God would open doors so that they might proclaim the message of the gospel. And when we read, you know, Greeks and non-Greeks, wise, foolish, Jew, Gentile, what Paul is saying is that it's for everybody. There's no one that is off of that list. It doesn't matter uh, your, your, your race, your gender. It doesn't matter what you formerly believed or what, uh, where you formerly were. The gospel is for everyone. Are we eager? You know, it's one thing to understand and believe the gospel. It's another thing for us to understand and believe the gospel so that we might have eagerness to proclaim it. I bet if I were to ask most of you, um, are you eager to go to work tomorrow? Um, If I was being generous, I'd probably say there's probably a 50-50 split. Uh, some are probably eager to go to work. Other people are like, I go to work because I need to pay bills. Um, and so, the, you know, there, maybe there's not that eagerness to go to work. Well, let me ask another question. How many were eager to come to church this morning? That's probably a much harder question for us to ask. Um, maybe it's uh, you haven't been feeling well. Maybe it's just... Uh, you, this is just a, a hypothetical scenario. Maybe you have a whole bunch of kids and it's hard to get them all up and ready and fed and watered and dressed and presentable for church. Uh, maybe you just didn't feel like it and felt up to coming to church today. But when we believe in something, when we have good news, that good news ought to will or well up in us an outflow out of us. The gospel brings about hope and salvation. You know, the power of God for hope and transformation. Why wouldn't we want to share that good news? 
And it's interesting to think about the juxtaposition to a, between are we eager against the very next verse, for I am not ashamed. And I wonder if maybe this is our biggest hang-up when it comes to telling others about Jesus, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, when it comes to preaching and the outreach. You know, it's something we saw with the apostles of old as they struggled, you know, as they were beset upon hardships. Are we going to fear God or are we going to fear man? Which is a very real fear. Are you ashamed to proclaim maybe because you don't believe the gospel is powerful? You don't believe that God loves you? Are you ashamed maybe because you don't fully know or fully understand? Are we ashamed to proclaim maybe because we don't believe? You know, when we ask that question, are we ashamed? It recognizes within ourselves that maybe there's more work to be done, and that's okay. There is more work to be done. The Spirit is at work in our lives. But that doesn't mean we ought to hold back. That doesn't mean we ought not to try. That doesn't mean that we ought not to work past that shame, because where it says, you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It is God who is working in us, not our own means. It is God who fills us up and encourages us and spurs us on to mourn. It is God who brings about transformation in our lives. It is not what we can do, but what is Christ doing in me? You know, are we willing to share with our classmates and our friends with our neighbors and our families, with our coworkers, Because when we understand what the gospel is, and as we actually say in one of our songs this morning, what a Savior, Jesus forces us to come to a decision. He says, do you believe in the person and work in Jesus? As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So if we believe and accept that it's true, that the only way to salvation is through Jesus, then people need to know. People need to know that Jesus is the way. But isn't that a scary prospect? Isn't that a scary prospect to share with maybe kids in your school, in your classroom, and say, hey, you need to come to a decision. It's a scary prospect to go to our coworkers and say, there is only one way to salvation. It's scary to go to a family member who doesn't believe and say, Jesus loves you. Do you believe in him? What Paul's saying is that it's not easy. He's not saying it's easy. But what he is saying is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. You know, do we love our neighbor enough to tell him about that? Do we love God so much that we can't help but tell our neighbors? One of the things I was reading uh, was about 
uh, Hudson Taylor. And so if you don't know who Hudson Taylor is, he's this uh, 19th century missionary that did a lot of work in China. And a lot of people commented, well, he must really love those people. And his response was, you know, on the one hand, yes, but the answer, the reason I'm going to China, the reason I spend so much time on my missionary trips is not merely because I love the Chinese people, but it's because I love God. And because I love God, I need to tell people about him. The power of God's love for us, that's what powers us to proclaim the gospel. So I want us to ask us as, how do we hear, hear, how do we hear at Redeemer Church reach out for the gospel? How can we do more? You know, I think we do well teaching our faith. I think we do well teaching our children in, in children's church and in youth group and on kids' night and telling stories and playing with, you know, Bible Brick Club. You know, I think we do well with our community groups and small groups and fellowshipping with one another. But what's that next step for the church? How can we reach out to, as what Troy prayed this morning, to the community in which we live and work? How can we be that salt and light? How can we love our neighbors well? How can we show mercy and love to one another? And then if I can steal uh, Jeff's application, one of his from last week, you know, when we think about it, it's three things. It's faith, forsake sin, and follow him. What is the gospel? Do you believe in it? Do you have that faith? Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner and forsake that sin and hold and rest solely upon God? And will you follow after him, live lives that are modeled after God and proclaim him? To our neighbors. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 38 4. It says this O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. You know, if I could circle back to our restaurant question way back at the beginning, you know, when we taste good food, we want to share that with others, when we have a meal that is good and a place that we enjoy, more often than not, we bring others with us. Come and taste and see and let me enjoy this with me. And that's what the gospel is. The Lord has prepared a table for his people. He's declared that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life in him. And he is inviting us to eat at that table. And we ought to invite one another to join with us, share in that table. You know, for those who might not believe, Jesus is calling you to himself. He's calling you to faith. He is running after you. He has defeated sin and death. And for you, when you believe, you are clothed in his righteousness. For those that are struggling in their faith, 
be assured that God loves you. That indeed you can have peace through the sovereign mercy of God. And for all of us, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us be eager to boldly proclaim it. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. Let's pray. Lord God, indeed, you are good and you are our God. And we thank you for Jesus that you have in that you loved us so much uh, that he humbled himself, that he came and he lived a perfect life, that he bore the cost of our sin on the cross, that he died the death we should have died, and that he was risen to new life, that he has defeated sin and death, and that we can now stand before you and boldly say, I am a child of God, because we are clothed in his righteousness. Lord, I pray that as we go about our week, that you would help us to believe in you all the more, that when we are struggling and hurting, uh, that we would find comfort in you, and that we would uh, be bold and eager to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.